that 14th verse of the 21st chapter of the book of Genesis, listen to what God's word says. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a, a wife for him from Egypt. Verse 19 says, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. I want to preach about God is turning it around. Hallelujah. No matter how difficult it is now, no matter how painful it is, no matter what your situation, the Lord wanted me to tell you that God is turning it around. When Zamir White was born, he was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate, and Zamir White had all kind of health issues. It was so bad until the doctor told his 14-year-old black single mother that your son has about two weeks to live. I can only imagine the mindset, the mentality, the emotional distress for a 14-year-old to hear that her son only has two weeks to live. And they told her if he lives beyond the two weeks that he will never be normal. And I've been pastoring now for 37 years. I pastored three years in Terre Haute, Indiana, 34 years here in Indianapolis and in Fishers, Indiana. And one of the most difficult things that I have done and still have to do as pastor is officiate the home-going services for babies and children who have preceded their parents in death. That's still difficult. That's still painful. And for this mother to be told, their 14-year-old, that, that, that this 14-year-old mother to be told that her son only has two weeks to live, and if he lives beyond that, he won't be normal. This is the kind of thing that this mother in Genesis 21 is dealing with. She thinks her son is going to die. This is Hagar and Ishmael. And Hagar is a, she's a black single mother raising her son without the input of his father. The Bible says she's from Egypt. And I know y'all watched the Ten Commandments again with Charleston Heston during the Lent season. And it's all the white people over in Egypt. But y'all, Egypt is still in Africa. It's, they didn't move it. And it's, it's still black Africa. And this woman is from black Africa. She's a black 
single female mother raising her son without the input of the father. And she had been through what I call a crazy relationship. And I, I use the term crazy in its literal sense of the word. We get our English word crazy from the old French word crazy. And crazy means to be shattered. It means to be fractured. It means to be broken. And Hagar was in a crazy relationship, a broken, fractured, shattered relationship with Abraham. Matter of fact, she was forced into that relationship. She was a servant of Sarah. And God had promised Abraham and Sarah in their old age that he was going to bless them with a son and there would be plenty of descendants that come from him and that the whole world is going to be blessed through that one son that they were going to have. That was the promise to Abraham and Sarah. But as time went by, their faith began to waver. And they wanted what God wanted them to have. They just didn't want to do it God's way. And so Sarah forces her servant to have sex with her husband Abraham. And so they, they use Hagar and they misuse Hagar. And they do have a son named Ishmael. Abraham and Hagar have this son Ishmael. And everything was fine, y'all, until God made good on the promise he made to Abraham and Sarah. They had a son named Isaac. And that's when Sarah said, you got to put that boy out of here. He will not share an inheritance with my son Isaac and put his mom out of here too. So they didn't just use her and misuse her. Go back and read it for yourself. They accused her and abused her. And Abraham got rid of her. He's a multimillionaire, and all he gave her was a skin with water in it and some food, put it on her shoulder, and sent them out, Hagar and her son. And after a while, the water ran out. After a while, the food ran out. They were wandering in the wilderness in Beersheba, in the wilderness. It was, you talking about a desert. Their resources dried up. Their relationships dried up. They were in a difficult situation, a desolate place that they were in. It got so bad until Hagar thought her son was going to die. She takes him and put the Bible says, put the boy under a bush, at least in the desert, to have some degree of shade. And then she went about a bow shot away. She went about 100 yards away because she couldn't stand to hear him crying and she couldn't stand from what she thought to see him dying. But right in the midst of that, that's when God turned it around. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Because God was able to see them in their difficulty, to see them in that death. I'm so glad that God knows where we are. And God didn't just see them, but God heard them. God heard the boy crying. And then God spoke to them from heaven. And when God turned it around, the way God turned it around, first he, he transformed the perception of Hagar. God turned it around by changing her thoughts, her mentality, her mindset, her worldview. Her perception was off. It wasn't just her predicament, but her perception. And her perception pushed her into depression until she thought, her son was going to die. Her son was not going to die 
She just thought he was going to die because her perception was off. And so God says, when I turn this around, first, I'm going to work on your thinking. I'm going to work on your mindset. And that's what God is doing with some of us right now. We all depressed and down and dismayed and disillusioned. And we, we see difficulty as death and dying. God says, no, let me change your thinking. And when God changed her thinking, it was because God was speaking to her and she heard him and her eyes were open. That's what it's saying. Her eyes were open. And when her eyes were open, there was a, a well of water. There was a stream in the desert. And y'all, I don't believe that God at that moment created that stream. I don't believe that. I believe the stream was already there in the desert, but she was so busy crying and tripping off that crazy relationship she had in the past that she couldn't see that what she was looking for was already there. I'm talking to y'all about perception. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. So when you believe Jesus died on the cross and got raised from the dead, you receive him by faith, then you become a Christian, then you're saved. And when Jesus died on that Friday, three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And, and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb of Jesus to see the body of Jesus. And when she got there, the body of Jesus was not there. And the gospel writer said that Mary Magdalene, she sat down and started to cry because she didn't know where the body of Jesus was. And then Jesus walks up behind Mary, but Mary doesn't know it's Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. She starts talking to Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks he's the groundskeeper for the cemetery. And she says to Jesus that she doesn't know it's Jesus through her tears, that if you've taken my Lord's body, then show me where you laid him. And the gospel writer said that's when Jesus spoke to her and called her by her name and said, Mary, and when she heard Jesus say her name, Mary, the Bible says she stopped crying and turned around and discovered Jesus had been there the whole time. That's what I'm trying to tell somebody, your perception, your mentality. If you can stop crying long enough, if you can turn from your sinful ways, you'll discover that Jesus has been there the whole time. It's about perception. Um, these two shoe salesmen, they had, they had gone over into Africa to expand their company's business. You know, it's a global uh, sales world now. And they both worked for two different companies, but they happened to be on the same plane, staying at the same hotel in Africa. So they get there, they unpack, get themselves together, and, and they both go into the same area to try to figure out how to sell shoes. Well, when they get to that area, they discovered that most folk in that part of Africa didn't have any shoes on. So they both rushed back to the hotel, and one of them begins to pack because he's going back home. And he calls his company and says, just cancel that, that shipment, cancel that shoe order, because over here where y'all sent me, nobody wears shoes over here. Cancel that order. And the other went back to his hotel, and he called his company too, and he said, y'all need to triple that order. Everybody over here needs shoes. We need to get some more shoes over here. It's about perception. You're not the only one in a predicament, but how do you see your predicament? Matter of fact, the reason why her eyes was open because she heard from heaven. Y'all, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, which causes me to ask you in your depression and your despair and dismay, who have you been listening to? 
who you've been hearing from, who you've been opening up to, who is it that's shaping your mind with the words that they're bringing to you. My mother went home to, to be with the Lord in January, and I know some of y'all concerned about it. Don't be, y'all, don't cry for me. I'm fine. My mother's in glory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. She's fine. God gave her to me all these years, and I, I praise God for that. But when my mother went to glory, my brothers and my sister and I, we had already dealt with her will and trust about, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago. We took care of that, so we ain't fighting each other. That's why y'all need to work on those trusts we're telling y'all about. So we fine, and uh, so that the house situation, and then my mother had 2 or $3, so my two brothers and my sister, we split that evenly. Uh, we didn't work for it. Why are we fighting over something? We didn't even, anyway, so... Then I end up with my mother's car. My mother had um, a 17-year-old E-Class Mercedes. So I got a 17-year-old Mercedes. So when I got it, I, I went and put some new brakes on it, and I spent a bunch of money on something. That's why my brothers and my sister didn't want it, because I spent all, had to spend all that money to get it right. And so I, was, I don't remember where I was preaching, but I, I, it was one of those one-night things where I fly out, fly right back. So I parked the car, drove the E-Class, 17-year-old, my mom's car, drove it to the airport, parked, went and preached came back next day, tried to start the car, and it wouldn't start. The battery was dead. And I'm sitting up here thinking, something is draining this battery. This car has been running fine. Something must be draining this battery. Well, at the airport, they help you out. So they sent somebody, gave me a jump, and, uh, and, and everything was fine. I drove it home and just left it running for a while. Then I got up the next day to try to start it and get to my destination, but I couldn't get it started, couldn't get to my destination because the battery's dead. Something's draining it. I took it to the Mercedes-Benz place. The man asked, what's the issue? I said, I believe it's something draining this battery. He said, Mr. Johnson, it could just be the battery is dead. Because some of y'all think the world is draining y'all. Some of y'all just dead in trespasses and in sin. That's an illustration for another time. Because he called me the next day and said, Mr. Johnson, you're right. The battery's fine, but it has no energy. It has no power because there's something draining it. We haven't figured out what's draining it, but we believe it's your radio because some, some kind of moisture has got it in the back. The module that runs the radio has gotten wet, and we believe it's the radio that's draining the energy and the power from the battery. I said, you mean to tell me that what I've been listening to, what I've been hearing all day, every day, it's the thing that drained my energy and power that I can't get started and get to where I wish I had somebody that understood what I'm saying. Who are you listening to that's draining you all this bad news? And, and, and what we hear on social media and mainstream media and the poverty and the disease every day, all day, and the sickness and, and the racism and the sexism. If that's all you're hearing every day, no wonder you drain and have no power. But I'm telling you, God is still speaking. And, and when God speaks from heaven, he gives you the power to handle whatever you're facing in this world. I'm telling you, God is turning it around, but he's working on your perception. And then not only that, but God is turning it around because God Hagar, this single mother, he's taking the difficulty that you're in and using that to transition your child from childhood to adulthood. It is hard. 
he, he has no father in his life. It is hard, y'all in poverty. It is hard, y'all in the wilderness, y'all in a place of desolation. It is difficult, but he's telling his mother, I'm, I'm using the difficulty uh, not to bring death to your child, but to develop your child because your son has arrested development. He's a boy, but he should be transitioning to a man. Okay, y'all may not know. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 21, Ishmael, this son, is 17 years old. But even though he's 17 years old, when we started at verse 14, each verse called him a boy. He's 17, but when he's referred to, he's referred to as a boy. Okay, y'all. Verse, verse 14 uh, says that he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. In verse 15, uh, she put the boy under one of the bushes. In verse 16, I cannot watch the boy die. In verse 17, God heard the boy crying. In verse 18, lift up the boy. In verse 19, uh, she gave the boy a drink. In verse 20, God was with the boy. Then watch what it says, as he grew up. Because God has taken all this hell they're going through to help him grow up. Because if you're 17 and folks still referring to you as a boy, you got some arrested development going on. Because even when his father Abraham put them out, he took that water in the skin and he took that food and he didn't put it on the 17-year-old's shoulder. He put it on the shoulder of his mama. Why is your mama carrying everything and you 17? Then his mama took a 17-year-old boy and she put him under, can't you find your own way to the bush? And you, okay, y'all ain't saying, y'all just added five minutes to the sermon because y'all making me think y'all don't understand what I'm saying because some of us don't want our children going through any difficulty not knowing that God is using that difficulty to help your daughter to go from girlhood to womanhood and to help your son to go from boyhood to manhood. I, I, I hear people all the time saying, I had all these issues and challenges. I had a hard time when I was a child, and, and I don't want my children to go through what I had to go through, the pain and the suffering that I... And so you do everything for your child. You make everything easy. Everything they want, you give it to them. Whatever they, oh, because you don't want them to go through what you went through, the suffering and the pain. Now, let me ask you something. Have you amounted to anything? Because if you amounted to anything, it may have something to do with what you've been through. Because your struggles built your strength. Those, that chaos built your character. That's what put you in a position so now you know how to survive and thrive because God used it to take you from childhood in order to get you to adulthood. Who was it? Um, oh, oh, Jawanza Kajufu. Jawanza Kajufu, he, he talks about uh, three hoods, and I'm focusing on, on boyhood to manhood because that's what the focus is in the text. Y'all can work on your own with girlhood to womanhood, but I'm looking at it the way the text is saying it. A single mother, a sister, raising her son without the input of the father, and he's 17 and still haven't started transitioning to manhood. Juwanza Kajufu, the educator and author in Chicago, he says 
that there are three hoods. He said there is malehood, boyhood, and manhood. And he said, do not confuse malehood with manhood. He says, because you can be a male and still not be a man. He says that malehood is based on genitalia. Malehood is based on equipment. And he says, you can have the equipment of a male and still not be a man. Because equipment alone is not enough. Okay, y'all not getting it. Jawanza says that just because I have a hammer and a nail, that don't make me a carpenter. I got the equipment, but it don't make me a carpenter. Just because I have a wrench and a screwdriver doesn't make me a mechanic. I got the equipment, but it doesn't make me a mechanic. And just because you have the equipment of a male does not make you a man. It takes more than equipment. So he moves from malehood and starts talking about boyhood. And he says that boyhood is not based on age. He says that there are 40 and 50-year-old boys. Don't get mad at me. This is Jawanza Kajufu talking. This is not my stuff. He said you could be 40, 50 years old and still be a boy. He says because you can determine what a boy is or discern what a boy is because of his dependence on his mother. So you 45 years old and still dependent on your mother to feed you, clothe you, get you somewhere to stay, get you transportation, get you some money, and buy you toys. He says, when we get older, boys still play with toys. The toys are just bigger, the cars and <laughs> SUVs, the toys just get bigger. But the boy is dependent upon his mother. And, and he'll move from his mother to another woman and then depend on the woman to do for him what his mama had been doing for him. Boy, y'all ain't saying amen. Y'all going to make me think y'all got issues with this transition from boyhood to manhood. He says now, but manhood is different. He says, because manhood is, is based on your relationship with God. When God created Adam, you know, Adam means the man. And God breathed into the man, the breath of life. Man became a living soul. So his manhood was tied in with the breath of God, the spirit of God getting inside him. Then the next thing God did with Adam is God took the man and put him in the garden and told him, now get to work, till it, cultivate it, farm it. Because boys play, men work. Then after that, y'all ain't saying amen enough. <laughs> he brought a woman into his life, and for this reason will a man leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. So his responsibility in relationship to a woman that is reciprocal is an indication of his manhood. Because, y'all, there is a big difference. And I know we're living in a time of multi-generations in the same house. And I'm not mad at that at all. That's what you're doing to handle your financial situation. I ain't mad at that at all. That's that's fine. You got multi-generations living in the same house. But y'all, there is a big difference between your mother living with you. Y'all ain't helping me preach. And you living with your mother. There's a big difference in that. So God is allowing the difficulty that this boy is going through 
to get him to verse 20 where he begins to grow up. And the next thing you know, he's working. He becomes an archer. He has a relationship with a woman. He's now married because God uses the difficulty not to bring death but to bring development in your life. God is trying, okay, uh, oh, let me do it like this. This was in 2004 in Seattle. Um, Laura Hatch, Laura Hatch, teenager, was on her way to her friend's house. They were having a party there, and she drives, and she goes to the party. And on the way home, Laura Hatch has an accident, single car accident. She, she goes off the highway 150 feet down to this ravine, and then she goes on the other side of trees and brush so that you can't see from the highway what had happened to her. She never gets home. Her parents are now disturbed. They call the police. Police get in on it. There's a search for Laura Hatch. Family is in on it. They got church members looking for her. Police are looking for her. And for seven days, they could not find her because she, she had gone 100 feet down, 150 feet down. She's broken. She's battered. She's beaten. And, and she can't get out of the car. And on that seventh day, that night, a member of the church said that she had a vision from God in the night telling her, where Laura Hatch was. Now, y'all can argue with her. She said the Lord showed it to her. So on the eighth day, the next morning, that woman that said she had the vision, she and her daughter went right to the spot where Laura Hatch was, and they found her, and she was still alive. This is eight days after being beaten and banged up and broken bones, and they found her still alive. One of the sheriffs said he had been on the force for 24 years and had never seen anybody go eight days without water because they would have died of dehydration. They rush her to the hospital. When they get there, the doctor says that she had blood clots, but the blood clots did not make it to her brain. Had the blood clots made it to her brain, then she would have died. He said the reason why the blood clots didn't make it to her brain is because she was so dehydrated that the blood clot didn't move. Y'all missing it. The police officer said, I've never seen anybody survive they die in eight days without water of dehydration. The doctor said what saved this woman's life that kept her from dying is the fact she was so dehydrated. God took what would normally destroy her and used it to deliver her. Oh, I wish I had somebody that knows that God takes what comes against us and use it for. Is there anybody that knows God works all things together for your good? Let me give you one more and I'm done. I want you to know, I know it gets rough. I know it gets hard. I know it's different. I know stuff is dried up in your life. But it don't mean death. It may mean development. And maybe God is trying to get you to change your perception so you can help your own children up. Here's the last thing. And that is, God says, I will make your son a great nation. God is turning it around by restoring her hope. Her hope was gone. She, she said, we're not going to make it. I can't stand to see my son die. No, your son ain't dying. God said, I'm going to make him great. He opened her eyes and there was some water. The situation, y'all, the only thing that changed is now they got water. But she also has hope. She believed what she heard God say. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Y'all, whatever's going on in your life, you got to keep hope alive. If hope dies, then the progress stops. If hope dies, the struggle ceases. 
If hope dies, that's when people turn to drugs and alcohol. When hope dies, people turn their back on God, Christ, and the church. When hope dies, people jump off bridges and slip their wrists and put bullets through their head. Whatever happens in your life, you keep that hope alive. Hope is the expectation that God is going to show up. Hope is the expectation that God is going to do things differently. Hope is the expectation that God ain't through with me yet. What's so hopeful about this? Because God told this woman who thought her son was getting ready to die, he ain't dying, I will make him great. I don't know why y'all ain't shouting off that. God said, I will. See, our issue is we keep trying to depend on the people who did us wrong to make it right. Abraham was wrong. Sarah was wrong. And Hagar, if you're not careful, you'll go the rest of your life all depressed thinking that the people that did you wrong are going to make it right. But when you hear from God and take God at his word, God said, I will do it. And, and God is saying, I'm going to do it without his father. Boy, I wish I had time to testify right there. When my earthly father walked out, that's when my heavenly father walked in. And I'll testify that God can and will turn things around. He said, I will. And whatever God wills so, he's got the power to make it so. I will make him. I know he's a boy now. I, I know he ain't even got enough wherewithal to help you carry the water and the food. But God says, I'm going to turn that around. I'm going to make him great. And, 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 and I love this because if God is going to make you, you don't already have to be what he's going to make you. Jesus, when he handpicked his disciples, he said, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men and women. Follow me. I'm going to make you. That means that I don't already have to be what he's going to make me. See, in a few minutes, I'm getting ready to extend an invitation to Christian discipleship. I'm going to invite somebody to come and give their life to Christ for the first time, whether you're on site or online. I'm going to give you a chance to be saved. Somebody's going to be, I'm going to offer an opportunity for you to get reconnected to Christ and the church. And somebody's going to do it. Give their life to Christ. Somebody's going to reconnect with the church. And then somebody else is going to say, as soon as I get myself together, I'm coming. As soon as I can make these changes in my life, as soon as I can make something of myself, then I'm coming. No. God said, I'm going to make you. And if God is going to make you, you don't already have to be what he's going to make you. You come just as you are. But when you come as you are, you won't stay as you are. Because if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things become. Anybody know God can make you? Stop listening to people talk about I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Ain't no such thing as no self-made man or self-made woman. We are not man you factured. We are God you factured. It is he that have made us and not we ourselves. And I still serve a God that will step in your messy situation and make you great. Do I have a witness in here? I will make him great. And God didn't do it overnight. He did it over time. That's why some of us are suicidal. That's why some of us are so depressed. You prayed and asked God. You heard God speak. God spoke a word to you. And you thought it was going to happen overnight. No, it happens over time. Because it said he became a great archer. He became a great hunter. 
you don't just overnight know how to be an archer. You got to be taught. You got to be trained. You got to be prepared. Malcolm Gladwell says it takes 10,000 hours before anybody masters anything because it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. I tell young pastors when they see what we got going on at Eastern Star Church, this wasn't overnight. Y'all ain't helping me preach. This happened over time. T.D. Jakes, Bishop Jakes, when he first went to Dallas and started the Potter's House, that ministry there in Arlington, just outside of Dallas, and thousands of folks started showing up. And of course, he's now having conferences everywhere and tens of thousands of people and all kind of stuff. And, and folk, when he got to Dallas at the Potter's House, they said T.D. Jakes was an overnight success. He said, overnight success? He said, they ignored the 20 years when I was in West Virginia with a few hundred people. He said, this success didn't come overnight. This success came over time. But if you wait on God and keep trusting God, God is going to be true to his promise. I will make him great. Do I have a witness in Okay. You know what? I thought I would get a whole lot more amens today. I mean, I did. I'm, I'm telling you, you can hear from God. God sees you where you are. God is turning things. I thought y'all would be saying amen. I've been up here 30 minutes, and some of y'all ain't said amen yet. I talked about how God's going to take your son and turn him into a man and your daughter turn him into a woman and what God is going to do to shape them and make them great. I thought y'all would be saying amen. And it dawned on me, I know why y'all ain't saying amen, because I opened with Samir White who the doctors at said he only got two weeks to live. And if he lived beyond two weeks, he'll never be normal. And he has lived beyond two weeks. He's been, he's 22 years old, and he is not normal. He's not normal because when he was in high school, he was the number one running back in the nation. That ain't normal. Then he got a scholarship and went to the SEC to play college football. That ain't normal. Played for the University of Georgia and started as the running back for the national championship team. That ain't normal. And he was a starting running back, and they defeated the University of Alabama. Now, y'all know that ain't normal. Then he got drafted this past draft into the NFL, and that ain't normal. And in a few more days, he's going to sign a multi-million dollar contract at age 22 because that ain't normal. Stop listening to the experts tell you what they don't even know about because I serve a God that will step in your situation and turn things around. It won't always be like this. God is perfecting that concerning you. Sooner or later, it'll turn in your favor. He's turning it around. Do I have a witness in here? If you believe that, then give God glory. He's turning it around for you. Come on, stand with me.